0: It is good to be here. I must admit, I was writing in this morning and hearing about all those people who have been displaced by hurricanes and thinking they are without their homes, they're without their neighborhoods, and this morning they're without their worshiping community. And somehow that just gave me pause, and it just made me so grateful that we all get to be here together and worship where it's dry. So the scripture for this morning is from the book of Jeremiah, first chapter.
1: Now the word of the
0: Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And I said, ah, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak for I'm only a boy. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth, see today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? The word of the Lord for us today, thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy One, we have gathered as family in this sacred space. We sing your praises. We open our hearts to your spirit. Now may as we hear your word proclaimed, be in our minds and our imaginations that whatever is there for each one of us today, we just register. I ask this in Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen. Well, for some of us of a certain age, it's difficult to knuckle down to have a very serious conversation about Jeremiah without having the lyrics from Credence Clearwater Revival's Joy to the World Come Through Your Head. You know which ones I mean? Jeremiah was a bullfrog. He was a good friend of mine. I never understood a single word he said, but I helped him drink his wine. Okay, I got that out of the way. And... Totally dated myself. Sorry, kids. Well, as a prophet, this Jeremiah was more bulldog than bullfrog. Hence, we begin a sermon series that Pastor Phil has titled Unbroken. Because in nearly 50 years of ministry, of saying things he didn't want to have to say, he was indeed unbroken. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Hebrew scriptures know that Jeremiah actually lived through the catastrophic destruction that he spoke of, and he suffered level Hurricane 5 hostility in his ministry, and he did it with grace. Some say that there is in Jeremiah somebody that we can go to when we're having a tough time. I commend it to you. One author has said that the, the history of Israel from this time, from her delivery out of Egypt when you know the slaves were all making those bricks out of straw, to Jeremiah's time, which is about 700 years, that time is primarily characterized by God's struggle with his people's rebellion against his rule. Israel constantly backslides, continually strikes out on her own, repeatedly forgets her God, and ignores God's guidance for her life. And through it all, God is promising and judging and warning and forgiving and protesting and struggling and grieving. And finally, through the words of the prophet Jeremiah, God utters, I've had it. And he declares and breaks out war against his own people. And it's so tough that Israel's national life is destroyed and only a remnant of her will be left in the nations. It's not until God declares in 2nd Isaiah that her warfare is ended, that the sin's punishment is completed. In this book... among the oracles of doom that Jeremiah is come to cry, come to uh, utter. He does this through his scribe Baruch. In this book you will also hear how God solves the problem, the problem of how to make faithful people out of her rebels. God decides he will change the hearts of his people by erasing their sin and writing his word on their, hearts. Does that sound familiar? This is the second longest book in the Bible. It is not organized in chronological order, and by its topic, which is like rerun after rerun after rerun of a reality series you never wanted to watch in the first place, it's not easy to read. And God bless Pastor Phil, it ain't easy to preach. So let me start. Do you think that Jeremiah looks or looked like this portrait that Rembrandt gave us? Maybe, perhaps in the end. But in today's scripture reading, I want you to know Jeremiah was 17. Anybody 17 here? Yeah, okay. Young, muscular, vibrant, maybe deeply olive skin, dark curly hair and eyes. He grew up just three miles north of Jerusalem. He was the son of a priest who was the son of a priest, and no doubt Jeremiah expected one day he would be a... He expected he'd become a priest and not the one whom history would later call the weeping prophet of Judah. At the time of today's scripture, which is 626 BCE, the tribes of Judah and of Benjamin are all that are left of the original twelve. And they had been ruled by a succession, like a roller coaster, of kings who variously led the people into righteous worship of Yahweh and then back to worshiping idols and encouraging their secular life. Well, in 626, when Josiah was the king, and you'll hear more about him in the future, Josiah was a righteous man, and he started a campaign to rebuild the temple. You know, in the temple that had gone into destruction, the scrolls of Scripture had actually been lost. The folks didn't have the instruction from God in Deuteronomy and others. But during this construction of the temple, they found the scrolls, and Jeremiah is right there. You know, I have pulled a page out of my sermon. Let me pull it back. Hmm. There is reform that comes about in Jeremiah's rule. And that reform is way too short-lived to save Jerusalem. They tried too late. They'd gone too far off the rails. They were not ashamed of their loathsome conduct. They were not repenting. And so in no time, as Jeremiah said it would happen, the Babylonians ride in from the north to take over the city, and they shatter Judah. They lost their land. They lost their temple. They lost their kingship. They lost their nation. Do you know that from that time until 1984, when the political entity of Israel was established, they were lost? 68 years ago, we got Israel back. Well, no doubt in Jeremiah's early life um, as a potential priest, he had been schooled in what it was to be righteous, in what God expected of his people. But he had had darn little preparation about what it is to be a prophet. I mean, I'm not sure how you prepare a prophet, but what we have in today's scripture is it. That's it. In the Old Testament, to be a prophet was not to be a fortune teller, not one who predicted the future but it was to be a spokesperson, and a spokesperson from none other than the Lord God, creator of the universe, and the word that the prophet spoke, given to him by God, actually ushered in whatever it was he said was to happen. A lot of power, a lot of power in those words. Well, thankfully, anymore, none of us will be called to be a prophet like that. You and I might have a call from God that we are to fulfill, but the word of God that was incarnate in Jesus Christ has now finally been spoken. We cannot add to it. We can only show what it means to us here and now in Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. That's our call. Well, it said that pastors... Um, fail if they pay too much attention to the prophet himself and not to the one who sent him, so I need to transition here. In today's scripture, in 17-year-old Jeremiah's call, what do we learn about the one who called him? Let me read it to you again. Now, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, "Ah Lord, truly, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a boy. But God said to me, do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out a hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. You will hear some of the most beautiful words of poetry in Scripture, in Jeremiah, and some of them I've just read. And I'm betting that without any explanation on my part, the Spirit has already delivered something to you. It's going to take a moment here, Give it a shout. What word or phrase from that scripture hangs with you? Right now. Ahead, don't, be don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Come on, first service did better than this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. What are these... What do these words say to us about the one who called Jeremiah? First of all, I want to say this is a God of intimacy. This is a God of intimacy who tells a quivering Jeremiah, Before you were born, I knew you and I consecrated you and I appointed you to be a prophet. Do you know what our most essential need is after we have water and food and shelter? It's not to be loved. It is to be understood. It is to be known. This is a God of intimacy. What would it be for you this morning, sitting right where you are, to hear God say to you, from this moment, excuse me, from the moment you were conceived, I have witnessed every breath and every heartbeat in you. I have declared you sacred And your life, even though you don't recognize it, will be used to achieve my holy purpose. What if you could really hear that? If we could take it in, I think that so much of what commands our attention in life about what we do to have meaning or approval, I think that that might just slip away. You know, for Jeremiah, whatever he hoped he might accomplish in his planned career it all ended up taking a back seat, a back seat to the difficultly won sense of satisfaction he had of following the one who knew him and who called him. And you have to wonder, is it possible that God has known each one of us before we were born and has so meticulously intended our creation? Do you know that you are that precious? From Psalm 100, we are God's possession and the sheep of His pasture, and never can human beings be understood apart from that understanding, from that relationship. Can I get an amen? amen. You're better than the first service of that one. The second thing about this God that we learn, this God of intimacy, the one who speaks. He speaks with purpose and with intention. And he uses this theme that's you know popular or familiar with us, and that is that God uses people who can't speak very well to speak. <laughs> um, to Jeremiah's, you know, I don't know, Lord. The Lord replies, Yeah, but I knew you. To Jeremiah's, hey, I'm only a kid. God answers, I am with you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Yeah. And despite the fact that in the rest of this book, which is 52 chapters long, um, despite the fact that Jeremiah is going to throw some major king-sized tantrums, God answers every excuse he makes, every fearful self-assessment he utters, and every self-serving attempt he takes to try to avoid his mission. God is there. And you have to ask, or I have to ask, what is the purpose of this God in calling this Jeremiah to this incredible destruction of the nation of Israel? Why does God do it? This is a God with a purpose. And the Bible tells us that tells us that, that purpose is to give abundant life to the creation that God loves. That purpose is going to be evident in Jeremiah. You know, when our backs are turned on God's precious gift of life, God works tirelessly to turn us around, that in that relationship we may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, on to the third thing. This is the tough one. As difficult as it is for modern Americans, the third thing we learn about this God who called Jeremiah Is that He is a God of judgment, not just of new life and grace that we so fondly emphasize. I have set before you this day, I have set you over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and to destroy, to break down and to overthrow, and then to build and to plant. I mean, all the plucking up and the breaking down in Jeremiah is God judging. God moving to establish in day-to-day life for his people justice. First, he has to force slow-learning Israel to reckon with the consequences of her actions and with God's displeasure. And he does that so that she can choose to go another direction, which is the word repent. you have to ask, is there God's judgment in our day-to-day life? Was it just in the Old Testament? Well, thankfully, I don't think God's judgment today looks quite like it did back then. But it can certainly take the form of, what, natural consequences for the actions that we take? And at least in my life, not saying it happens in yours, I think it is a little bit of judgment that happens when the Holy Spirit comes to convict me, to say to me, to confront me about whatever undisciplined or unjust action I have just taken. There's an element of judgment in there. And Jeremiah is going to tell us we need that. Somebody I was talking to about this sermon said God needed to purify the Israelites' dysfunction in order for them to grow. (laughs) And I have to say, especially this morning, this, that while the divine we call God is sovereign over all creation and can do anything he wants, Presbyterians do not ascribe to a theology that labels hurricanes or earthquakes or other natural disasters as judgment for sin. With all his heart, Jeremiah did not want to call down God's destruction on his people, We don't like hearing about chastising. That's why this is a hard sermon. Yet if you and I are ever to be serious about our faith and the meaning of the cross in our lives, we have to acknowledge that both judgment and grace are necessary for our wholeness. And the other translation for the word wholeness is what? Salvation. Judgment and grace. Grace (laughs) are necessary for our salvation. I don't mean to dwell here, but sometimes we're a little bit inclined to uh, take a taxi right from, oh yeah, I sinned, to, "Mm mm-hmm, I've got God's grace, I'm okay. Um, We miss the learning that occurs in the darkness, and there is a power in that. I am with you, God says. When I was a little girl, my mom was a great gardener. She had a vegetable garden, and I... asked her one day why she was pulling those pretty little purple flowers that were next to her vegetables. And she said to me, I won't tell you what she called me, Uh, she said the vegetables needed the weeds to be gone so they would have the room and the nutrients to grow. Abundant life is only possible if that which is not life is uprooted. The good news is, that for Jeremiah's people, that uprooting, that judgment was not the last thing. And as for us Christians, judgment certainly is never the last word, but it is a necessary word that we might have the nutrients and the room we need to be made whole. When I was talking to Phil about this sermon, he said that a, a pastor friend of his by the name of Andy Dearman put it this way, God's judgment in the book of Jeremiah is always in service of a wider and a deeper mercy. God's judgment in the book of Jeremiah is always in service of a wider and deeper mercy. I want you to keep that in mind in the next weeks as you hear this. And for us and for our wholeness, may we all come to embrace the truth of God's intimacy the truth of God's intentionality and purpose in our lives. And may we embrace that wider mercy that comes in both judgment and grace. Amen.